Oh, you can put it anywhere. Any, you can do it any, <laughs> any orifice. You can yeah. have. You can have any orifice. Yeah. I know it's gross for you. <laughs> but. It's a lot, isn't it? Hello and welcome to another episode of It's a Lot with Abby Chatfield. Um, before I get into the intro uh, about this specific episode this week, I just wanted to, you know, let you guys know that I'm doing better than last week. Um, and I think that's because all this COVID stuff, while it hasn't calmed down, in fact, it's increased since last week, I'm kind of getting into a new groove. Um, last week I was a little bit, I think, emotionally exhausted and anxious. And then when I get anxious, I get so tired. Like I feel like I'm using up all of my energy on being anxious. And it's like I'm at buzzing at this high frequency and I can never get off the ride. Um but I've been working from home for a few months now anyway, but now that everyone else is also working from home, it feels like my work hours aren't starting and ending. And usually I would have like, oh, like I have dinner with this person at 6 p.m. So that means I finish working at 5 or I'll have breakfast with someone and then I'll start working at 11 and then I'll work till 9 p.m. or whatever. I don't feel like my schedule is what you guys come to this podcast for. But I did want to say something that I was thinking about this afternoon after seeing a few memes. And there was a post by someone that I found to be really toxic. So I'm not going to say who it was. I'm not going to say what it even was. But it basically implied that it isn't okay to quote unquote slack off or to quote unquote, I hate this term, but let yourself go, feel sick even saying it, hated saying it, hated that it's in the podcast. Um, But they basically were saying that, you know, they disagreed with a certain post that was saying that it's okay to let yourself have a bit of a break. It's okay to not be losing weight in this time. It's okay to not be um, having fitness goals right now. Um... And I've seen a lot of other posts as well saying that um, if you haven't succeeded this during quarantine in something tangible, then you've wasted your time and you're just lazy. And that's fucking bullshit. Just so you're all aware, that's a fucking bullshit. Um, when it comes to losing weight or wanting to learn a hobby or a skill or whatever the fuck people consider succeeding in isolation, like, ooh, I wanted isolation. I learnt French. Ooh, I lost weight. Ooh, I can now do a handstand. Like, that's great. If you have goals, fucking go for it. If you have goals and you have the capacity to reach those goals without damaging your mental health or you have the uh, emotional availability to do those things fucking go for it proud of you but equally as proud of you for putting your mental health first and being like you know what me eating perfectly and exercising twice a day right now for me is not giving myself enough space to develop and grow mentally if that makes sense you aren't taking care of your mental health first and I think right now it's imperative that everyone is taking care of their mental health 
first and foremost and then everything else can trickle to the side. If it takes you exercising to have uh, better mental health, go for it. But I don't want people to feel like from all this like quarantine and like slaying quarantine, like that's great if you are, but it's also great if you're not. As long as you're surviving, you don't have to thrive. You don't have to fucking thrive. Like it just, it just, it's an unrealistic expectation that is put upon everyone right now to be like, use this time wisely. We're never going to get this time back. Okay. How about I use this time to survive and not feel like I want to fucking die every day. And if that means me eating a fucking plate of brownies this afternoon or me giving myself a break and not feeling bad for not exercising, then I'm going to do that. Okay. Um, I just don't want any of you or anyone that you know to have a, have a negative feeling about quarantine already existing, whether it's anxiety, depression, or just overall not having a good time, bro. (laughs) I don't think anyone's having a good time. Um, I don't need to have that negative feeling. And then compound that with guilt. Um, You know, I don't want you to feel like, oh, the COVID-19 is very stressful. I'm very stressed. I'm at my capacity for anxiety. Oh, but also according to Instagram, I'm supposed to be losing weight right now because I have more time on my hands. So naturally I should be working out and eating less and eating perfectly and meal prepping. That's bullshit. Do what you can to survive. Do what you can to make the most of this time. And if the most of this time, sorry. And if making the most of this time means that you have made it through alive, then that's all you need to fucking do. Anyway, that just really irritated me today. I spoke to a few of my friends about it um, and I just am fucking sick of this. Like I'm trying to, I'm still working normally. And this is the thing as well. Like I'm not coming from a place of like, I'm struggling. We're all struggling, but I'm not particularly struggling. My life hasn't changed that much. And I completely acknowledge that. And that's why I think it's bullshit to put it on people that aren't in the same position as me or others that may have different coping strategies or different um, privileges in whatever way um, to say, well, everyone who's not kicking goals right now is being lazy. It's a bullshit. Anyway, that was a seven minute rant about um, something no one asked for. But back to today's episode. So today we have Clementine Ford, feminist author, queen, an absolute idol of mine. I admire her so much. I couldn't stop just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and agreeing with everything she says. And you'll hear in the podcast, it's just a whole lot of me going, yes, yes. Oh, my God, Clementine, you're amazing. Because she embodies everything that I want to be. She – people uh, sometimes say to me that she's a man-hater. I completely disagree. Um, she empowers women. Uh, and she also empowers men after we recorded this a few weeks ago before COVID was even really on our minds. Um, she had a show on called conversations with men and I attended that and it was incredible. And she basically gives a platform, um, to men and there was one non-binary person there as well to speak on their experiences moving through the world. And she's not a man hater. She just fiercely believes in women and um, equality and women's rights and I adore her. I 
you'll hear me just gush over her basically. I listening back, I was kind of laughing at myself. I sound like a kid meeting their like celebrity idol. Like a kid meeting Delta, Delta Good Dream in like 2003, you know? Like I'm like, yes, Clementine, you're amazing. But I truly think that, I truly believe that. And um, this conversation that I have with her is honestly invigorates my soul. I listened back when editing and I, my heart was like racing because I just, I so strongly believe in everything said in this podcast, this episode that I just, it makes me so happy. There are two things I want to flag though, before we start. Um, the first is about, there's a whole conversation surrounding, uh, vaginas, uh, out of vaginas, in vaginas, all of vaginas. And because the question was asked by a woman, um, the conversation I believe focuses around the relationship between women and their vaginas. I just wanted to quickly note, um, that Clementine and I, both are acutely aware that having a vagina doesn't mean you're a woman and being a woman doesn't mean you have a vagina, vice versa for penises, vice versa for intersex genitalia, vice versa for um, anything. Um, I just want to put that out there that that is not something we did intentionally. It was because we were speaking to the person who asked the question and um, naturally the conversation flows uh, from that, but just wanted to flag that bad boy. Another thing that I wanted to quickly flag that I hope you understand the context of, but I don't want it to offend anyone. Uh, and the explanation kind of comes after I say it. So I don't want anyone to hear it, turn it off and then be like, fuck Abby. Um, I say the word dyke. Now that is not a word that I would usually use in my everyday language, but I am quoting a DM or multiple DMs that I've gotten and DMs that, um, Clementine has gotten and also things women are called in an effort to say they aren't a value to society because men don't want to fuck them and they don't want to fuck men therefore you are called a lesbian um so you'll hear the context it's explained like a minute or two kind of after properly by Clementine um but I just wanted to say that as well and of course I would never mean that I would, I would never say it in any other context other than a quote from um, specific DMs that I've received and as an example of horrific language used against women and um, uh, the LGBTQIA plus community. Anyway, so we're up to 10 minutes on an intro. I want to hear from you guys as well. So I'm thinking of what I'm going to do because now I've kind of gotten my work that is organized. I think what I might do is do like mini episodes on Fridays and I'll probably do like a 20 minute or a half hour tea Tuesday recap. Um, let me know in the podcast group. It's a lot podcast with Abby Chatfield Facebook group. Um, the link is in the description of this uh, episode and let me know what you think because I feel like it could be fun, but I don't know if it would translate well via audio. Anyway, enough of you girl blabbing. hope you guys are doing okay. Love you all very much. Um, really 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 love the podcast community we have going right now guys and here is my chat with the incredible clementine ford
I'm so excited. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am here with the amazing feminist icon, Clementine Ford, who is actually as my ex-boyfriend that I love says, the feminist queen of Australia. Clementine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And I like your ex-boyfriend. <laughs> good judge of character, that chap. The, the Clementine <laughs> Ford, the feminist queen. Um, so Clementine and I have been here for a few hours now talking about everything mm-hmm. feminism. I've recently been listening to, haven't quite finished your audiobook for Fight Like a Girl. Get out. I yeah, know, it's time for me to leave immediately. <laughs> it is so... Honestly, life-changing for me, even as someone who was already a staunch feminist, I'm like a baby feminist compared to you. I'm still learning a lot of things and everything that you say really impacts me and I'm so honoured that you've come on this podcast. Oh, my God. (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, you are like light years ahead of where I was at 24, which was, you know, it's a process. The whole, Mm -hmm. that's what, that's what personally for me has made feminism such a joy as a movement to be a part of is that even now I'm 38, I'm, you know, 14 years older than you and I still learn new things every day and I'm challenged by older women and I'm challenged by younger women and people like you change my mind about stuff and make me really reassess my position on things and it's it's like such a rewarding ideological movement to be a part of because it's constantly shifting and changing the way that you think about the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of think I'm very stubborn and I often think like, no. I don't, <laughs> I'm like, I know everything about these things, but you're one of the few people that can get through to my very stubborn brain and make me reassess some things. So we're going to have a great chat later on about the male gaze and everything to do with that kind of section of your book. But first of all, I want to ask, what's been a lot for you this week? What's happened this week that you think has been too much to handle? Um, oh gosh, it feels like everything's a bit of a lot sometimes. Um, so <laughs> this is a this is a, before you arrived this afternoon. I realised that I often let the housework get away from me. How dare uh, you, know, you as a woman? I'm a single mom, and <laughs> you know my kid's only three, so he can sweep the floor, but he can't yet scrub the toilets. And I will admit to scrubbing the toilet before you walked in today, thinking, "Fuck, I cannot let Abby Chaffee uh, see the state <laughs> of this porcelain." <laughs> that was a bit of a lot. Uh, what else has been a lot? I feel like living in this fucking society is often a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because some, you know, it's exhausting to always be the person who's calling things out. You know, feminists are often accused of being killjoys and fun ruiners and, mm-hmm. you know, what? we don't want to fucking ruin anyone's fun. We just want you to stop being dicks. Please stop being dicks. I'm not being dramatic. These are things that genuinely affect us. So I'm just trying to be the voice for women who can't speak up and have the bravery to speak up. So Clementine, that sounds like it is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I also had my period. That's always a lot, you know. Oh, that's far too much. Oh, my God. I had a friend who had a period recently and she couldn't get toilet paper anywhere and she was losing her fucking mind. Oh, no. She went to a shopping centre to get little extra rolls from um, from the communal bathroom so I mean like good on her I mean we've all fashioned a pad out of toilet paper at some point in our life oh who hasn't even a tampon out of toilet paper side note I'm done with tampons yes I've been using menstrual cups lately same but I've also been like I hate menstrual cups because they always get stuck inside of me because I have an an inverted uterus oh right so they always I have to like he's like a three claw (laughs) (laughs) in the shower like full like panic almost in a hospital almost every time so I was sent some moddy body um oh period undies 
Period undies are a game changer. Oh my God. Used them my entire cycle last mm-hmm. week. My period isn't that heavy, mind you, but I honestly have never been happier in my life than not having to put something inside of me to do my period. It's the kind of thing that um, I've used a Body before as well. And there's a few different period pads out in the market now, and I've tried a lot of them. And it's the kind of thing that because there's this sort of general, you know, misogynistic squeamishness around, and when I say misogynistic, I don't mean necessarily that men are out there pointing their fingers at bleeding people and going, Ugh, <laughs> although some of them are, mm. but like a lot of internalized misogyny as well from women, it's this sort of squeamishness about periods. Oh my God, periods, blood. blood. It's gross disgusting. Um, when it's a completely normal process mm-hmm. and it's weird to me that there are some people still who find it really uncomfortable to deal with their own period blood. You know, it's just yeah. like a it's a thing that you just have to do, you know. Yeah, it's it's a normal thing. I think as well a lot of people are ashamed of their periods when they're younger. I've got mm. a lot of DMs from girls. I was speaking about my period my story the other day. I know I speak about a lot of things that just come to mind. And I got a lot of DMs saying that girls, you know, hid their periods, their mum from when they were age like 13 till they were like 15 and it's fucking great for their mum and their mum is the last person in the world that would care. Like I was 10 years old when I had a period. Wow, that's that's young. Yeah, year five netball, babe. Wow. Um, <laughs> I was netball and I was like, oh, oh no. Poor little Abby. I know. And I had like C-cup boobs in grade five as oh, well. Shit. And this is a side note. That's I had, a lot. Well, I, that is a lot. I had a, a, I had a, a teacher, I'm not going to say which year it was, but I had a teacher who said to – my mum that I had to wear a rash shirt in um, PE because I had the body of a woman. Uh, oh, my God. It makes me so furious when it's l- little girls, you know, prepubescent in age, mm-hmm. maybe not in physiology, little mm-hmm. girls who are made to account for other people's expectations of what women's bodies look like, oh. you know, so girls shouldn't wear leggings to school because it might give the boys ideas or <laughs> girls shouldn't wear skirts that are too short, particularly not around male teachers because what mm-hmm. are they supposed to think? I don't know, dude. Like Not maybe sexual don't, thoughts about children? Yeah, maybe don't think about her body. Maybe, maybe think about anything else. But, yeah, so I was really ashamed of my period when I got it and mum was like, Abby, you have blood in your undies. And I was like, yes. And she was like. Okay, let's get you some tampons. Like she, she was just like, okay. But I find it crazy that people were like 15, 16 hiding their periods mm. and people, but that's a whole other story. And I feel like if anyone hasn't tried period undies, life-changing and good for the environment as well. Yeah, and especially really good on your light days. Yes, absolutely. At the, at the start and at the mm-hmm. end when you're like, I'm not really sure. Okay, so now I have a few Q&As for you because you have the Big Sister Hotline, which we've recorded, and that was Thank amazing. You. Your advice is Incredible. I wish I had someone like you when I was growing up to listen to on a podcast because you're so you're so wise and you come at things from a realistic angle but also a feminist angle, which is great. I have chosen these questions for you because I felt like you'd be able to speak to them really well because they kind of talk about, you know, umbrella issues that we have as mm. women and pressures that we have on us from society. So the first one is... I'm 19 and a virgin. I can't take birth control and I'm worried that men won't want to date me because they will need to wear condoms. Is this likely to happen? Okay. A lot to unpack there. Firstly, um, 19, I was like 
three weeks shy of my 19th birthday when I had sex for the first time. So for anyone who's thinking that that's a particular age, like it's totally fine. Everyone should have sex at their own pace when they're ready. Mm -hmm. There's no right time to have sex for the first time. Um, And also a lot of people can't take medical birth control because it does a real number on your body. And unfortunately, the medical system that we live in you do you know I don't know if you know this Abby and listeners but they have been there have been some developments and tests done on the male birth control pill but they abandoned it halfway through because the test subjects were reporting feeling um depressed and moody and, and moody yeah yeah and just not right and their sex drives you know reporting not having as high sex drives and so they were like well we've we couldn't oh possibly goodness, do this to men couldn't possibly have a depressed man out there <laughs> and yet with you know birth control for women it's like well whatever she's a crazy bitch anyway um so i completely appreciate and identify with uh this person's inability to take medical birth control i'm actually on the marina right now which i found really good it's like mm. local to the site um but you know it's not for everybody uh, regarding condoms, I was really surprised to hear from a friend recently, and I'm old, I know, but and I was also in a relationship for seven years and came out of it last year and then kind of re-entered the dating world. I was really surprised to hear that condoms are a thing of the past. Um, oh, I don't think I've... I, I, the thing is when I sleep with guys for a one-night stand, I'll use a condom and then we'll have sex a second time and be like, fuck it. Mm. And it's such a weird thing of – I think the same way, though, because I'm so used to being like, yeah, fuck it, that I'm like, well, yeah, whatever. I mean, I've, I've slept with them once. I may as well not use a condom. No. No, I, I know that it's not the Listen, right thing to do. I, I say to test it. I'm like, I'll just get tested tomorrow. It's fine. I say that totally free of judgment because I am super slack when it comes to using condoms because you're in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sort of feel like, oh, it's going to ru- ruin the vibe. It feels better to not use them. But – STIs, even though they can be treated, they are still a very real risk. And the thing that I guess I would impart to your listeners is that um, HIV rates, HIV is a very treatable condition Mm -hmm. now, but HIV rates are still on the rise amongst uh, young women who sleep with men. Mm -hmm. And it's just something to be aware of in the back of your mind. If your fear of, if your worry, dear listener, if your worry about, using condoms is that you personally don't like them, then that's something that you kind of need to navigate mm-hmm. with your uh, fear of getting pregnant or not getting pregnant because mm-hmm. regardless of what your feelings are on abortion, they're, they are like something that you need to book in and wait for and they are a process to go through. So it's not necessarily something that you like easily want to go through. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if your fear is that you are worried that about the backlash from the men that you're sleeping with, that they don't want to use condoms, then tell them to get fucked. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you brought up um, the fact that women can in, will do enjoy sex more so without a condom because yeah. a lot of the conversation that I hear around using condoms is, well, guys can deal with it. Well, you know, who cares if it, if it feels better for a guy? Who cares if they can't be bothered? But a lot of the time I don't want to use a condom because it feels better to not use a condom. Well, that's just And latex can be very aggravating. You yeah. Know, people can be sensitive to it. It's uncomfortable and I tend to dry up upon the use mm-hmm. of a condom and lube doesn't really help me and it also ruins the whole situation. Um, but I think that why do you think lube ruins the situation? Because I, I was about to say, like, that's another point that everyone should get 
really enthusiastic about lube. I don't know. I feel like maybe I possibly I'm allergic. I don't know. I, oh, okay. I just, I just don't, it ruins like my physical situation. Not like oh. the mental. I think that I don't, I don't like using lube. It doesn't feel as good for me. Only in anal. Right. Okay. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I think maybe I have an allergy, but also because the guys that I sleep with, I think it might be also a mental thing of like, mm-hmm. well, if I'm not wet, then like, I don't want to do this and I can't be bothered. I was going to, I was going to ask about that, that I think that sometimes, you know, men and women alike can make the mistake of thinking that if you need to use lube, it's that she's not really into it or he's mm-hmm. not doing his job properly mm-hmm. or there's something wrong with either one of them. When actually like lube is just like anything, it's just an enhancer mm-hmm. in the same way as watching porn can be an, an enhancer or using a sex toy can be an enhancer. Mm-hmm. Lube is just something that makes the experience for a lot of people different and, I mean, obviously not for you. Mm. I, mean, I don't know. Better, it could just you know? be that, but it could be a subconscious thing of that that I kind of – I. I get mentally out of it. I'm mm-hmm. very much like it needs to be a flow. And I, if I if it stops, I'd be like, well, I can't. Because the thing is I know that I can come by masturbating much easier than I can by someone else having sex with me. So That's unless, the same for, you know, <laughs> everyone who's got a clitoris. Yeah. So if I am having sex with someone and I am not dating them and I don't really mm. care what they think, if I have to stop halfway through, I'll just be like, eh. Like mm. I it, go to sleep and I'll get my womanizer out like I'm, I'm <laughs> good as the womanizer oh by my the way God, the womanizer uh satisfier pro the sucky sucky as i called it on my um, satisfier pro is an excellent budget version oh that's a different yeah the womanizer, womanizer. sorry but, yeah no, no no i was just gonna say like if you can get both of them into your arsenal please do go for it i have um i have nine vibrators at this present time and i'm very ha- and then three dildos and i'm really proud of them all so i guess the question is is it likely to happen that a guy won't want to date you because they have to wear a condom. I mean, if they don't want to date you because they have to wear a condom, then they probably aren't the right person for you, right? If they're putting all of the uh, weight on you to take birth control and they they don't feel they need to have any responsibility for that, then they're a dick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, there's two different questions there. Will a guy want to have sex with you if you make him wear a condom? Possibly not. Do you have to have sex with him? Absolutely not. Mm. Will a guy want to date you if you... Well, hang on, wait. I just want to go back to that first question. People are entitled to express their preferences for certain things, whether or not that's wearing condoms or whether or not that's eating pizza, Mm -hmm. you know. Everyone's allowed to express their preferences. But no one's allowed to make you feel wrong somehow or you're letting them down because you don't want to indulge their preferences at the expense of your preferences or your needs. Mm -hmm. So if a guy says to you that he doesn't want to wear a condom and you say, well, I would really like you to wear a condom because I don't want to get an STI or I don't want to get pregnant. And he says, well, fuck you. Then you don't have any responsibility to feel bad about that. That is all his own issue. And he is the one that frankly, is too immature to be having sexual relationships with anybody because a lot of what this comes down to, whether or not it's condoms or whether or not you want to have anal or you Mm -hmm. want to, like, use a sex toy or you just want to sit and cuddle on the couch and watch Netflix, whatever it is, a lot of what it comes down to is the most important thing that you need in any of these situations is respectful communication. Mm -hmm. And you might not see the person again or you might be dating them, but if you can't actually talk to them about what it is that you're doing with each other, then you're not creating the perfect parameters for you Mm -hmm. to have an experience that is firstly enjoyable for both of you, but that also 
um, respects the humanity of both mm-hmm. of you. And one of the best things I ever read about sex and consent and how we navigate sexual relationships with each other was from an American writer called Jacqueline Friedman who said, sex is something that should make all people feel more human by the end of it and not less. Wow. It's, it's so simple it's so but it's simple. so good. Mm-hmm. And if you're going into any sexual situation and you're feeling at the end of it like you've been made to feel less human, then Firstly, you should definitely not see that person again. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you should not be absorbing any sense of shame or feeling bad about how that situation transpired because it wasn't you who was doing the dehumanising, it was someone else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I guess the answer is um, if it's like it isn't likely to happen but if it is to happen then reassess who you're seeing, reassess who you're going to be dating. Yeah. Is that the... And if you've never dated someone before, like this person doesn't sound like they've dated, they've never had sex, you don't need to... There's there's not a, a list of things that you need to tick off mm-hmm. to get through the next five years. Like you're still very young and it can feel sometimes when we are young, it can feel like we're playing catch up to our friends. But at some point it all evens out a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, and... I would just give yourself a breath mm-hmm. and take some of the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. God, Clementine, you're just so, I can't even add to what you're saying. You're just so great. Stop it. Okay, the second question that we have is something that I really relate with, maybe not currently, but I used to really um, feel this way. So I have never felt comfortable in my body and whenever I sleep with someone new, I get overly anxious and worried about how they will judge my body. I also have an quote-unquote outie vagina, mm-hmm. which makes me feel self-conscious when men go down on me, usually stopping me from receiving oral at all, let alone orgasming during it. Um, how do you feel confident within your body while having sex? Well, I think you should answer that question Well, first. okay, so I... Um, yeah, I have quite an outie vagina, as they would say, and I spoke about this on episode one of the podcast. And I think it's really it's really hard to accept that, I think, mm. which is bizarre because all vaginas look completely different. They're like snowflakes. That's what people don't know. No, because you watch when I watch porn, it's all the same vagina and I hear guys talking, well, men talking about, you know, oh, she's got beef curtains or like... <sighs> That term, yeah. Can we? How about we line up? That. How about we line up a bunch of guys and we can all run some commentary <laughs> oh, on their fucking on their dicks, dicks. <laughs> their mushroom cocks. Let's fucking sort that how out. How clean they are no. for a start. But sips tea. But um, I have always felt really, really, really self-conscious about my vagina. I think from when I started watching porn because porn shows this this ideal of a in a labia that is completely, it looks like it's like shaved off almost mm. really. Um, and I think, see, I'm very lucky in that I had an ex-boyfriend who I love who showed me this, um, and this is a bit, this could, tell me what you think about this because Clementine as my queen feminist, <laughs> but this helped me a lot. There's this website called ratemyvagina.com. <laughs> Have you heard of this? I have not heard of it, okay. but it does not surprise me that there is a website <laughs> of this nature. So he was, I used to tell him, I'd be like, I, he would never have an issue, never said anything about it. And I was like, I used to feel really self-conscious about my vagina. And he was like, look at this website called ratemyvagina.com. And like 
the top 10 vaginas were all different types mm. of vaginas. And it's, it's ridiculous to rate vaginas. But it helped me in seeing that just as people have different types, maybe physically, mm. uh, gender-wise. Um, different boobs. Different boobs, different, different body shapes, different heights, different everything. People have different preferences for vaginas. And I think as well in following pages like the Volva Gallery, do you follow that? No, but I've seen uh, the Great Wall of Vaginas at Mona. Haven't seen that. So the, at the Museum of Natural Art down in... Tasmania? Museum of New Art? Museum of Natural Art. Mm. At Mona, <laughs> in Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, the Great Wall. I mean, look, that's the thing is that everyone's body is different mm-hmm. and that sounds like a twee, simplistic thing to say. Mm-hmm. It's only up to the point where porn has become so accessible to everyone from such a young age, these very prescriptive ideas of what bodies are supposed to look like have really filtered down. I mean, there's a part of me that would say that it doesn't matter what your body looks like if you're in a situation with someone who is attracted to you or, in you know, they don't have to be in love with you but attracted to you and respects you, that they're not going to point at your body and go, yuck. Mm-hmm. Um but I've heard a lot of stories from women where that exactly that exact thing happens. And, I mean, again, it kind of goes back to what we were saying with that last question, that sex and sexual connection with anyone, regardless of whether or not you're going to see them again or not, has to be between two, two or more people who are going to respect the, like the vulnerability that mm-hmm. is in that situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, having said that, I have a lot of insecurities about my body too and I think it's really hard to... You can you can say, look, this is my feminist take on it, but to actually apply that to yourself is very difficult. Oh, absolutely. See, I I constantly preach to my friends and my followers as well that I'm like, love your body no matter what, everyone's beautiful and, you know, who you are is who you are. And I always think, you know, if you've gotten to the stage where you're about to have sex with someone, if you've gone home with them, they're not going to care. You don't look that mm. different outside of your clothes than you do inside of your clothes or your vagina can't. Be, your vagina isn't going to be like hideous and they're not going to be like, what is that? Like it's just a vagina mm. either way. But it's still hard to apply it to yourself. Like I sent a nude video the other week. I mentioned this in my podcast first episode about how I was nervous that the reason why the guy replied saying, oh, my dog got put down was because my vagina was too out. Uh. <laughs> I was like, is he trying to find a way to be like, don't send me any more um, pussy pics, as they say, um, because I still get nervous about it. But I think everyone's vagina looks completely different. And for me, following pages like mm. the Volvo Gallery, which she basically paints different types of vaginas that women send into her, and it's also comfortable in my own skin. She's making a, a coffee table book with all photos mm. of different vaginas in it and understanding that everyone's looks different. And being in the Bachelor Mansion... Oh, we're we had like one night we got really drunk and we all compared vaginas. <laughs> I remember reading about this. Yes, and everyone was like, "Did you really do that?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's it's what women do when they get together and get drunk." Yeah, and we were and lone and we, no yeah. entertainment. We're sitting bored, there, no phones, no phones. Talking about a man for uh, seven weeks and is exhausting. And I think even that practice in itself, I was like, "Oh, everyone's vagina looks completely different, mm. like completely, completely different." And also at the end of the day. You can't change it. So your options are to either be insecure in bed and not be confident in bed mm. and let it affect yourself or be like, okay, this is how my vagina is. If someone doesn't like it, they aren't mature mm. enough to have sex with me. 
Yeah, and that's kind of basically exactly what it comes down to is that instead of worrying about what people think about us, which is a really difficult thing to stop doing, I mean, I personally have a lot of insecurity about my body and my vagina since having a baby, you know, and the physiological changes that I've kind of gone through and that stuff that I'm working through. Like it's not, there's no easy fix. You can't just, and it's, it's too simplistic for people to say, well, your body made a baby. Like it's a beautiful thing. You should be proud of that. It's like, I am fucking proud of what I did, but I still struggle with the changes to my body. Like those, those are two states of being that I'm completely entitled to be in. Mm -hmm. But what we all need to learn how to do is to become better at advocating for ourselves in situations where someone else wants to put their issues onto us. Mm-hmm. So some guy who's got no experience of what, you know, very different bodies look like who wants to point at us and go, well, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And actually I will say that I think that those guys are probably in the minority, but I, I'm not having sex with 22-year-old men, so I don't know. I think so. I think so. I'm, I'm sitting with 26. 20- six-year-old men um, and older. And I, I think I think they're in the minority. I don't think – and if they do think it, no one's going no yeah. to say it. And the worst that's going to happen is they just won't speak to you again and that's kind of a blessing in itself. If yeah. someone is going to speak to you because you have a, a la, an outy vagina, I mean what difference yeah. does that make to – to any part of the sexual experience? Yeah, I mean, and the thing to remember is that they'll, in nine times out of ten – still lower themselves, quote, unquote, lower themselves to fuck it. I mean, they still want to fuck it. Yeah, Yeah, but they'll just want to make sure that they walk away with you feeling bad about it as well. So, again, like we need to become better at advocating for ourselves where if a guy like or if anyone tries to make us feel bad about our bodies when we're about to have sex with them or when Mm. we've they've been lucky enough for us to take our clothes off in front of them, then instead of when I was 28, and this is too old to be doing this, but when I was 28, um, I met this guy when I was in America and I went back, you know, we went on a date and I brought him back to my house. I took our clothes off and I had hairy underarms um, because sometimes I grow the hair under my underarms and sometimes I don't and mm-hmm. it's no one's business but mine. Anyway, it's a natural Clementine. That's so unnatural. Unnatural but... Disgusting. <laughs> anyway, it was also winter. Not that I need to say that but... Okay. It was winter. He's got hairy underarms for fuck's sake. Yeah. Anyway, so he pointed at that. I've got my clothes off. He's got his clothes off. And he pointed at my underarms and he said, that's disgusting. You should get rid of that. And now if a guy did that to me now, I'd be like, I'll tell you the only disgusting thing in this room is you mm-hmm. and I'm going to get rid of it straight away. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of my house. But then I was like, oh, I'm sorry for being so disgusting. Let me suck your dick to make up for it. And, of course, I did. And, I mean, he didn't do anything. He did something wrong in saying that. Mm -hmm. But I made the situation okay. I I participated because I'm a fucking victim of patriarchy. Mm -hmm. I participated in feeling bad because I didn't feel confident enough to say, get out of my house mm-hmm. um, or to even say, like, what the fuck is wrong with you, you know? Well, so that's what we all need to get better at doing is saying even if we don't want to kick them out because we like them and there's complicated feelings there, we still need to get better at saying before I let you anywhere near my fucking vagina, we're going to have a talk. Well, that's even, I've just thought of, that's kind of like this whole thing if you want more validation because he just negged you. Yes. It's like negging. It's a thing yes. of negging. So we need to prove to him that we're not disgusting. No, I'm not disgusting. I, yeah. I, I, you can put it anywhere. Any, you can do it. 
any orifice you can yeah. have. You can have any orifice. Yeah. I know it's gross for you. <laughs> but if you must, if, if you can do it for me, that'd be great. But yeah, I, th- I think this is a similar to the first question of if someone judges your body, if you've gone to, to that stage where you're going to have sex with someone and they are going to judge your body, I mean, I don't think they will, first of all, if you've, gotten to the stage where you're at home and naked with them. I, I don't think that's really that common. Um, but if it is happening, they're a fuckwit essentially and they aren't worth your time and they should get the fuck out. And, and you also need to remember as well that one of the reasons why we see uh, very sculpted vulvas in pornography is not just because of um, fashion that has been completely dictated by the male gaze and by men who are, who are largely in control of mainstream pornography, but also because in Australia and print pornography, we've got very strict laws about what can and can't be shown. So sometimes in print pornography, if you see a vagina that looks like it's very, um, an innie, I'll mm. say, mm. it may not even necessarily be that the porn performer who's vagina is being photographed even looks like that in real life, but it's been photoshopped that way because otherwise it's considered explicit material and it's not allowed to be displayed in news agents. Oh my God. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. So what you're saying, it's the same way that when we're looking at fashion magazines and we look at, you know, photographs that of perfect seeming women or perfect mm. by someone's standard seeming women. And we feel terrible about ourselves. But then when you look at the before and after of the Photoshop, you realize they don't even look that way. No. Jessica Alba does not look the way that she looks on magazine covers. No. So I only recently started listening to your book, audiobook, Fight Like a Girl. I can't read books. I get too anxious that I'm not getting work done while I'm reading books. So I try to listen while I'm at the gym or something. And something that really stands out to me is the idea of the male gaze and how it affects so many aspects of life as a woman. And I was saying to you before that I kind of realised that the reason why people saw me as manipulative on The Bachelor Mm. was because people thought that I was doing things for the male gaze. And it's made me really think about a lot of different aspects of my life that are affected by it. Um, And I want to kind of focus on that today. So Mm. could you explain to those listening what the male gaze exactly is? Because I I understood what it was before listening to your book, but I hadn't really thought about it in depth despite being such a feminist. So Mm. if you explain, that'd be great. Sure. (laughs) So the male gaze, like G-A-Z-E, is the basic concept that in patriarchy we're all operating under the eye, under his eye, Mm -hmm. you know, and his being this sort of operative kind of uh, masculinity um, or the, the... the idea that women are all performing in some way to appeal to patriarchy and patriarchy, if you could imagine patriarchy, is just being a single man. Mm-hmm. That's what the male gaze is. So we're all operating underneath the scrutiny of that male gaze. We're performing to it. We're we're living in a way that tries, tries to appeal to it, which is why we can genuinely feel of some mm-hmm. men, well, I don't give a shit what they think about me, mm-hmm. and yet still feel such deep insecurity about whether or not you walk out into the street and someone thinks that you're hot enough Mm -hmm. or um, that you're – I'm going to invoke some fat-shaming terminology here, but I don't mean it, but you're like walking down out out in the street and thinking, oh, no, I look fat today. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these things are really kind of spawned from this 
one perception of what women are supposed to be and supposed to look like and how we are supposed to appeal mm-hmm. to men um, and how to, how we are also put in competition with each other to try and win the force of that gaze. So that's basically what the male gaze is. So mm-hmm. even if people haven't heard of it before, they probably have some sense of what that feels like to have an, a faceless, nameless man's eye constantly scrutinising them. Yeah, I mean, even this morning walking around Melbourne, I when I walked outside, so I have like quite hectic cellulite on my legs and particularly on the front of my legs, which for some reason I'm fine with it on the back but not on the front, which I don't really understand why. And whenever I walk into the sun, I feel like I look like a disgusting beast. Like I'm like Edward mm. Cullen in Twilight when he goes into the sun and he's shimmering but it's like my cellulite is showing. And um, I was listening to your audiobook and I was like, Clementine wouldn't be impressed with me if I felt this way. And it's, it, it does come down to being fearful that the, the pack of tradies who catcall me anyway, who I don't want their specific approval, but if they think that my legs are disgusting because I have cellulite on the front of my thighs, then I'm worthless. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a strange concept to be in particularly when I am such a feminist and I'm still learning I always will be learning but it's I I think of a way that I I try so hard to learn about all these concepts and I still struggle with it and I can't imagine how people who don't try and explore that or they force themselves to quote-unquote love their bodies and I'm going to tell you something right now that is probably going to simultaneously dishearten you but also liberate you And that is that it doesn't matter how fucking knowledgeable or fierce a feminist you are, divorcing yourself from patriarchy's expectations on you and divorcing yourself from the demands that the male gaze places on you is not something that necessarily goes hand in hand with Mm -hmm. how much you learn about the world that we live in. Mm I I mean, you very kindly or your ex-boyfriend very kindly described me as being, you know, somewhat (laughs) of a a prominent feminist. I worry about this stuff all the time and you know why I worry about it? It's not because I'm a basic bitch and it's Mm. not because I deeply care what individual men think about me. It's because I'm a woman who's been born in a patriarchal world, who's been grown up in that world to be reminded everywhere I turn that the most important thing I can do is to appeal to men, Mm. that the most important thing that the most important, um, thing that can be said of me Mm. is how attractive I am or like whether or not I've got a boyfriend Mm -hmm. that we still live in a world where and you know this very keenly that trolling online the very first port of call that men will go to is you're you're fat you're ugly I wouldn't fuck you you're a dyke you're You're, a dyke you've got you've got a big ass Mm -hmm. you're disgusting like the things that men have said about me online and the joy that they've taken in trying to undermine me I mean I'm at the point now where the only kind of strength that I can sort of say that well, not the only kind of strength. I'm at the point where I can say one of the strengths that my feminism has given me is in genuinely not caring what individual loser men say about me on the internet because mm-hmm. I know that their impulse to try and dismiss what I'm saying by immediately going to the way that I look is mm-hmm. just reflective of the fucked up world that we live in mm-hmm. and they think that they think that that's what will silence me is them saying, well, you're Mm -hmm. fucking ugly. And I don't care about that. But I still live under the panopticon of Mm -hmm. the panopticon is like the idea that we're all in a prison that 
everyone else that, that, that your wardens can see into your cells but you can't see out of them okay and I still live in the panopticon of the male gaze where I'm I like you walk down the street and think are my shorts too short and are my thighs too wobbly mm-hmm. who's going to be looking at me and thinking that I don't deserve to be here and that's because all of these feelings are indoctrinated in us and deeply ingrained and we're conditioned to one of patriarchy's greatest successes is in indoctrinating and conditioning women to be our most enthusiastic wardens. So we all keep each other in check and we all make sure that we're all doing what we can to to satisfy and appease the male gaze or mm-hmm. even men's expectation that we'd be nice to them all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's why you come across women that are like fearful of feminism and even be, being associated with it because mm-hmm. they're terrified that men will see that connection or see them as being just like adjacent to it and go, mm-hmm. well, yuck, she's a woman we can't trust mm-hmm. or she's gross, she's ugly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really like the basic reason why a lot of women don't want to align themselves with feminism is because they're scared that it means men won't want to fuck them. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's this pick me, yeah. pick me ass bitches, which I don't really like the whole phrase. Fair. It's a fair but thing it's to fair. kind of. Um, speaking to that, I think. Again, after listening to your book, like you've, I've only listened to about like I think 10 chapters and you've blown my mind already. But after thinking about it, I think society as a whole, we value male approval the most as the most important. And as someone whose father left as a child, I find that I have an especially hard time with seeking male approval. And I think that society as a whole is based around male power in relationships mm. like proposals one night stands, men are okay to have one night stands, women aren't and you're the person being used if you're the woman involved in a one night stand. Women mm. even being afraid to ask men out and the power dynamic is just one function of the patriarchy and it's kind of it kind of feels like sometimes we're like part of the buffet and waiting mm. to be picked and it's like who can be like the best um, sizzler cheese bread, <laughs> like mm. who can be the best for themselves. And from that, I want to talk about pick me ass bitches. Um, in your book, you speak about laughing your own gender being a route to ex- the acceptance of men, and hence being more of a worthy person. And I find it really, really hard to not get really frustrated and probably alienate more so women that think this way and get kind of ultra feminist and ultra like, well, mm. fuck you then. Like, if you are going to turn against your own gender to appease men, to to be part of the patriarchy that we are all oppressed by, fuck you. Or just to minimise the damage that patriarchy does to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the other th- I get extremely frustrated with, and instead of calling them, I do use the phrase pick-me-ass bitch sometimes. So do I, but I get kind of like it's a bit harsh. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and, and for the purposes of this conversation, let's just call it women against feminism. Okay. Um, I get really frustrated with it because I I think why are you being complicit in your own discrimination and your own oppression because men will never stump for you Mm -hmm. as a group or as a class or even as an individual the way that you are like enthusiastically demonstrating to them that you are their biggest champions. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, therein lies the answer that the reason that they do it is because they perceive a risk that comes to them from not doing it. Mm -hmm. And that risk is patriarchy's backlash against women that don't play the game. Mm -hmm. Um, If they act like you or I 
and they speak up for themselves or they like call men out or they even just call themselves a feminist. All of the things that they'll be called, well, you're a we listed them before. You're ugly, you're fat, you're a dyke, you're a bitch. I mean, there is nothing wrong with being any of those things, by the way. No. But there's, they've sort of correctly determined that they can avoid most of that if they just let men know that they're on their side. Mm. And I'm when not one I, of them. I'm not a feminist. Yeah. Well, even with my tattoo, I was saying... Oh, the backlash that you got for that. I remember reading the comments and just thinking... Wow, like if you think that you've been following a different woman, then are you shocked that I'm a feminist? Like, but the night before I went to get it, I was waiting for a cab. I was went to get a cab to my car to drive home because I was getting the tattoo the next morning, about two hours away from my house. And I was waiting for a cab and some drunk guys came up to me outside a club and were hitting on me as, you know, men do when mm. they get very like, what are you doing tonight, babe? And I was like, nothing, please don't talk to me. They were harassing me and I was just like, I'm getting a tattoo tomorrow morning. I need to go. I need to go home. I'm I'm getting in the cab. Please go away. And one of them was like, well, what's a tattoo of, babe? And I was like, oh, just the word feminist on the inside of my arm. And he was like, he said to his friend, because his friend was there with him, they were both being harassing me. He then goes, fuck that. You can have her, mate. Mm. A, as though I'm a you're thing to like, be had. You're just a piece of meat that they picked up on the street. Absolutely. And these men were revolting. Uh, anyway, I would never even give them time of day, even if they were the best men in the world. And B, it it made me want to get the tattoo even more to be mm. like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be part of what you want me to be. I'm not going to mm. be a submissive woman against feminism because you expect me to be that way to get your approval. Yeah, because they're so insecure in themselves and they can't actually handle, you know, an interaction with a strong-minded woman No, that they need to undermine and belittle her, you know. Mm -hmm. Like you could have said to him, oh, I'm getting a tattoo of your dick. It's going to be really tiny. (laughs) Um, But that probably would have made him mad too. I mean, mean, (laughs) anything but a butterfly or something that you can make fun of. Like if I'd gotten, I was going to get love in... Mandarin or something, then you could have given me a shit because I'm a dumb girl that doesn't understand. Look, the thing is it's really interesting and telling how many men. We live in a world where feminism is so often met with like fierce anger from people who are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's equal now. Like feminism is nothing nothing but man-hating and what, you know, this is just bullshit and like it's not men's fault that women aren't as good as them, blah, 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 Mm. blah. Firstly, we don't live in that world. Mm. Um, I mean, the the, most recent report that came out from the UN showed that 36 different countries, in 36 different countries, nine out of ten people show bias towards women and admit it. Mm -hmm. We also live in a country where one in five girls over the age of 15 will experience sexual assault in their lifetime, and that's not something that we should be like, oh, well, that's just the way that the world is. Mm -mm. I mean, I don't accept that as a state of equality, that we should just endure sexual assault because that's just the way that the world is. Mm -hmm. One in three women will experience violence in a relationship or, you know, one woman a week is murdered by a partner or ex-partner because she left him. Like, that doesn't sound like equality to me. Mm -hmm. And women who speak up and stand up for themselves or even just basically say, I will not be treated like a piece of meat or I will not be treated like I'm somehow an appendage to you and your male ego... To have them turn around and be like, oh, what are you, some kind of fucking feminist? Yes, bitch, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. And I want to be branded that way. And I saw you have a tattoo as well. Yeah. Um, uh, feminist Killjoy. Killjoy. And it, it really weeds out the dickheads yeah. really well. I've had, I was on a date with a guy 
on a date, I was having a drink with a guy a couple of weeks ago and he's like, what's the tattoo? And I was like, oh, just as feminist. I was like, okay. Mm. And I make a point to wear singlets on dates. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going to try and hide it. And he's like, oh, are you a feminist? And I was like, have you seen my Instagram? Like, I don't see yeah. how they don't compute, like, me talking about abortion, me talking about body positivity, all my Instagram stories, everything I speak about. If you read anything that I've my three, my amazing three articles that I've written, you'd realize that I was a feminist. And it seems to be this label that's like, well, well, I'm not that. And women are so quick to separate themselves from it. And I find it a really hard, it's hard to figure out if they're worth quote unquote saving, or if I should just be like, fuck, it isn't worth my time. I mean, that's something that you, that's a, that's an ongoing question that you just have to keep asking yourself. And sometimes you'll have the energy to have the conversation and other mm. times you won't. I see it as like planting seeds. There was a time in my life where I, you know, said, well, of course I believe in equality, but I wouldn't call myself a feminist mm. because I had all these ideas around what a feminist was. But again, my biggest fear was that if I called myself a feminist, boys wouldn't want to have sex with me. Mm-hmm. And I already felt like they definitely didn't want to have sex with me. I didn't yeah. want to make it worse. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you know, people talk about like feminism has a PR problem or we need to change the word. The word's too toxic. You could call, I've said this before, you could call feminism sparkly unicorn, cheesy puff, good time gals. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And people be like, I think those sparkly unicorn, cheesy puff, good time gals are going too far. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just all a bunch of bloody man haters. Mm -hmm. Because what people are afraid of is what happens when women say this is fucking bullshit Mm -hmm. and I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to stand up and I'm not going to let this crap keep happening to me. I'm not going to exist. The sum of my existence and my adult life cannot be about making the men around me feel safe and secure in their egos. Like there has to be something more to life than that. And I'm going to make my life bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And that's what's scary to people. And, you know, I wrote in my book that I, I used to be terribly afraid of saying things that would upset men and I'd couch everything and, you know, mm-hmm. like, of course I, I know that most men are great men. And I, but, I, but do you think maybe we could talk about, do you mm-hmm. think just maybe we could talk about how bad it is to cat call women on the street, how it makes us feel unsafe and, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you don't want to talk about it. Okay, fine, fine, mm-hmm. fine. It was a compliment. <laughs> or I just wouldn't say anything because I was, I was you know, as an insecure young girl, the worst thing I could imagine was, I mean, I already felt like I was the most disgusting, hideous hose beast on the planet. <laughs> the worst thing would be having a man, a man whose opinion was, of course, more important than anyone else's mm-hmm. in my life. Including yours. Including mine. The worst thing would be to have him confirm that to me. So I just didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And then I realised that once I started kind of finding my voice and speaking up, and it was really hard to start with, it's scary to say to men in particular, it's scary to have that interaction that you did with those guys in the street because even though they're gross, obnoxious, drunken morons, mm. there's still a group of them and they still, you could still end that night either being attacked, which mm-hmm. would obviously be, you know, worst case scenario, or you could just go home and feel like, well, I'd had a really good night and then these fucking guys came along and ruined it because they mm. all act as if somehow their opinions are so fucking necessary mm-hmm. for me to hear. So when I realised that, you know, as scary as it was, I was going to start speaking up for myself and I was going to start shouting back at them and that there comes a point where there's only so many times you can be called a gross fat cunt who hates men (laughs) before you're just like, whatever, maybe I am a gross fat cunt who hates men. Then that is is really freeing. And so I wrote in my book that nothing hurts more than realising that you've been complicit in your own silence. Yeah. 
no word or like spitting insult sent to me by a man could ever hurt more than me sitting there and thinking I'm not going to say something mm-hmm. and I'm going to go home and feel like shit about myself because I'm too scared to speak up. Yeah, absolutely. See, I have an issue where I can't, I can't shut up. Um, <laughs> but something that you touched on just then that I, that really, really, really resonated with me on the Shameless podcast um, was obviously men are fearful of feminism because they feel like their power will be taken away mm. by feminism. And there's always this narrative by, I guess, uh, centric, but there's some feminists who say, well, no, 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 we aren't going to take your power away. We aren't going to do that. Don't worry. You're going to mm. still be in the same power. But you said it's impossible for us to take any power back without taking some sort of power away from men. And that is something that I I've thought about, I cried when I heard that because I never mm. knew how to articulate that because there is no way we can possibly have equality and not take some power away from men. For example, in Parliament, we can't have all the men still in there. It's impossible. And have equal representation. Mathematically. To have yeah. equal. So can you speak a little bit about that? It wasn't in the questions, but I just. Well, look, the clue is in the word power. Power means that you have to have it over somebody. So when men say, well, we shouldn't have to lose any of, we shouldn't have to lose anything in order for feminists to gain, what they're saying is we will give you nominal support for a superficial version of whatever equality you're looking for, but Mm -hmm. we want to retain the power Mm -hmm. that we have over you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, two really good, like you used the government one, but um, a really good example of how, rights and equality can be shared without anyone losing anything is when we, you know, uh, when LGBTQIA plus advocates in this country fought for the right for marriage to be extended to all people. Now, personally, I'm not really a massive fan of marriage, but I also think that if some people get to do it, everyone should get to do it. Mm -hmm. So gay people being allowed to get married now takes absolutely nothing away from straight people being able to get married because that is an invisible right that it can be infinite mm-hmm. more tangible areas of power like for example the australian parliament where there are only a certain finite number of seats means that a rebalancing of that power actually requires the people who have traditionally and currently still maintain the vast majority of it for some of them to step back mm-hmm. in the same way that white people need to step back mm-hmm. and lose something and what we lose yes people are like oh we shouldn't have to lose anything yes we do we need to lose our privilege Mm -hmm. over other people because that's the only way that true equality and equity can be realized is Mm -hmm. if we stop having privilege and power over other people Mm -hmm. you know i used an example once um on my facebook page about uh kathleen hannah who uh you know was the lead singer of bikini kill and the tigra you know massive uh person in the punk history Mm -hmm. in the punk movement um, and Kathleen Hanna once gave a show, she's, you know, a big feminist, and she gave, she was headlining a show and she said to the punk scene at the time, probably still is, was like notoriously male dude heavy mm-hmm. and it prevented a lot of women from going out and enjoying live punk music because they were being harassed in the clubs and mm-hmm. they were being groped. You know, all of the experiences that your listeners will have of going, even the ones who don't think that they're a feminist have been to a fucking nightclub and had their tits grabbed or mm-hmm. their fucking oh, crotch grabbed or their, fucking, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, because, because somehow we don't have the right to go out and just like move through public space without our bodies being owned by everybody. Mm-hmm. 
FYI, that's what feminism is trying to change. <laughs> um, anyway, so Kathleen Hanna gave this, was doing this show and she said halfway through, she was like, I want all girls in the room to get to the front right now. I'm not even joking. All girls to the front because the front rows were just taken up by these guys who, and look, I'm not saying that they're all like bad people, but when you have privilege, you move through space unconsciously. So as a white person, I move through space with unconscious privilege over people of colour and Mm -hmm. it requires me to be conscious of what that looks like for me to actually step back. Like if I'm going to a forum and I'm taking up space or taking up, uh, actually just cut that bit out because I'm getting a bit too complicated. Um, So when she said all girls to the front, she was saying, dudes, get back, this show is not for you. Mm -hmm. And I loved that example and I put it on my Facebook page and said this is is really cool, this is what we need more of, you know, Mm -hmm. we need more of the rebalancing. And all of these, unsurprisingly, guys, but also a lot of girls were like, well, that's not what equality looks like. How can it be equality if you're making people go to the back of the room? What would it look like if we made black people go to the back of the room? And I was like, that is fucking history and modern life. You cut the only legitimate, you know, Comparison to that is what would it make look like if we made white people go to the back of the room? And I, w- I would be like, it would look fair, fucking good. Fair. It's a tiny, tiny little bit of the pie yes, that we're giving away exactly. that isn't even, uh, it isn't even worth anything. Um, yeah, it's I just okay, love that. It's okay for women, as scary as it is, it's okay for you to advocate for your fucking rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay to take something away from the patriarchy and and men as a whole, not individual men. I'm not saying go after individual men in your life because you want whatever they have, but it's a, it's a, it's it's how it has to be done. Um, well, women have also traditionally never been taught to work together because the moment that we are perceived to be working together is that your next question? Oh, it kind of yes. Oh my god, it flows okay, so well. No, 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 it's amazing. Uh, I just found it really interesting as well that you touched on the fact that, like, I guess women aren't inherently jealous of each other and competitive because my whole life, the one thing I can't answer as a feminist, when people go, well, why do you hate each other so much? Until I heard your book literally last Tuesday. Um, it's sort of about, about this whole thing of we compare ourselves to one another in terms of fuckability. Um, and you, you said in the book that you couldn't care less whether a man wants to fuck you or not. And we have both, both parts of this question, but I still, I still struggle to see the highest form of validation as not being if a man wants to fuck mm. me. Cause I'm 24 and I quote unquote daddy issues, which is a whole other, other thing. But like, what, why do I feel the need to s- for a man to want to fuck me to feel like I'm worth anything and also why haven't we been taught to fight together as women? Uh, Well, the first part of your question is that the reason that you perceive validation as being, you know, intrinsically connected with your sexual desirability is because we live in a world that says women's greatest offering to men is how sexually desirable they are, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying that individual men aren't interested in whether or not you're smart, but we're certainly not raised to think that that's what men want from us. Mm -mm. Um, And I think to an extent as well, even even lovely, well-meaning men, I mean, they've also been conditioned by patriarchy and there is this really like deeply held idea that somehow the way that women present themselves is it functions as flattery to men. 
Mm-hmm. So it suits their egos to have us look nice around them because then it makes them feel powerful because one of the things that patriarchy does to men is tie their value up in what they have and mm-hmm. which women they can get and how much mm-hmm. money they have. And so that's equally as damaging to them. Um, that stuff I think is stuff that you have to work through yourself. I mean, obviously you're going to therapy, which is really good, <laughs> but also it's it's just stuff that changes with age as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been in the position where I, as much as it might have hurt me at different points in my life and I still have insecurities about it, I've never been the kind of person that walked into a room and had all of the men desire her. Like I don't really know what that widespread male desire feels like. So I've had to work on other parts of myself to become a, a whole human mm-hmm. or to like to fo- to to rec- to value different parts of myself that make me feel the loss of that less. Mm-hmm. Um and the benefit that I think that that gives me is that now that at 38, you know, entering my 40s and then soon I'll be 50 and of course like women no matter how beautiful they are pretty much all become invisible in a patriarchy once they turn 50 because mm-hmm. they're no longer of service mm, of course, anymore. Yeah. That I think that, that that transition will be a lot easier for me because I'm not really losing anything. I'm not mm-hmm. losing this attention that I've had from men my whole life and then suddenly having to deal with the disappearance of it because I never really had it in the first place. Right. So I feel like every woman who values their looks now and or who sees who finds power in their looks, it's totally fine to find power in your looks, but don't make that the only thing that you get power from. I mean, hearing you say um that you don't you truly do not care whether a man wants to fuck you or not genuinely blew my mind which is obviously an issue myself it genuinely made me go clementine has reached nirvana i was like she's it's what i want to be but i i don't feel that way which is fucking insane i'm gonna clarify that if i'm if i like someone i get crushes oh yeah of course you know like of course i care about whether or not the person i'm i'm crushing on wants to have sex with me. Like oh, I'm not course. a robot, <laughs> but yeah, just like random guy in, in a nightclub or I mean, I just, I'm old. I don't go to nightclubs anymore, <laughs> but random guy at the pub or whatever. Like when a guy says to me, I wouldn't fuck you. I don't care. I, I would say to him, I wouldn't fuck you with his mate, you know? Yeah. See, I still, uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm still very young though. I kind of forget. Um, well, you just need to learn how to, you'd need to Trick yourself into it, you know. Yeah. You might not believe it the first time you say to him, I don't give a shit, mate. Mm-hmm. But the more you say it, the more you're like, that actually felt really good. Yeah. It felt really good to see his reaction to me letting him know I, I don't fuck. care. So true. Um, okay, I'm going to ask one more question because it's actually almost an hour. I know you have to be somewhere and I've got a million questions, but I really, really, really want to talk to you about this. Um, so recently you uploaded a photo that was – so fucking bomb of you in some lingerie and loved it. Of course, liked it without even thinking about it. Like I literally was like, okay, Clementine looks hot, whatever. Um, and then I kind of looked at the comments before this, uh, interview and I saw a few comments, but there was one comment that said you were going against feminism, Clementine. Yeah. And as though like that, like them telling you what to wear is feminist in any manner. Um, what response do you have for these people? And also how do you feel about things maybe perceived as being for the male gaze, like shaving and lingerie? Mm. And because I still do these things inherently, like whenever I have uh, legs that are a little bit hairy, I say to the person, oh, sorry, I haven't shaved. 
Like I apologise to I my said presence. To that, I said that to that. I said that to someone as well because mm. I still have all of that stuff, you know, inside me. And I and I shave sometimes and sometimes I don't. But I said that to someone recently, and they were like, "Oh," don't they joked. Care. They were like, "Neither have I," because <laughs> um, you know, because not every guy is a fuckwit. Yeah, um, and that's the minimum that you should expect. Mm-hmm. Is so what I. That was really interesting because I took part in this lingerie shoot for a an independent lingerie company in Melbourne called Just Babes Lingerie and they make for like a massively diverse range of body sizes. They also are really trans-inclusive. So they make lingerie for trans women who have penises so that there is like they physically accommodate differences in bodies. Um, they're a really progressive company, sex-positive company, and so I felt like aligning myself with them was... I didn't feel like there was any challenge to my feminism at all. No. And I was really pleased with that photograph and I felt sexy in it. I felt like it was a a sexual shot that, I mean, it was strange to have people accuse me of doing it for men because I posted it on my social media when 95% of my followers are women. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like it was it was frustrating and, and perhaps, in fact, almost definitely I've been guilty of doing this to other women as well as assuming that they have no agency, which is what, you know, we're constantly learning and constantly kind of checking ourselves. But there is a difference between you can't just say, well, every choice that anyone makes is, in, is feminist just because a woman made it because we live in a world where choices are, where the difference between a choice and a decision is so often very murky. Mm-hmm. You know, so I might make a decision to do something that accords to patriarchal values because it either earns me money or it progresses me in some way or it just gives me some level of safety mm-hmm. and that can be different to a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, having said, like, for example, the choice between getting labiaplasty or a decision to get labiaplasty, you know. Right. In an, in an equal world, all things being equal, people probably wouldn't look at their vulva and go, oh, well, I don't like the way that it looks, so I'm going to get cosmetic surgery. Mm -hmm. Maybe they would, but we also live in a world where cosmetic surgery is on the rise because people are making decisions about wanting to fit into people's expectations. Mm -hmm. Very different things, but it doesn't mean that their choices should be undermined in any way. So when I took this photograph and posted it, I just thought it was a really fucking hot photograph and I really liked it. And I wasn't surprised by some feminists' reaction to it, but I was annoyed Mm -hmm. because it pissed me off that people would assume that me, someone who's written two books about this stuff and has thought about it pretty deeply, wouldn't have, like, would somehow just be some fucking dupe of the patriarchy Mm -hmm. that was just, like, doing this to Mm -hmm. satisfy men. Um, The other thing as well is that really annoyed me about it is that inherent in that conversation and that constant critique of women being sexual creatures or doing anything remotely perceived to be remotely sexual or desirable is this idea that somehow what I think is being reinforced by that is that men own sex and men own sexual expression and they own sexuality. So when you, Abby, Mm -hmm. go on a TV show and you behave in a way that feels natural to you because you're an inherently sexual person, you've talked about your love language being physical touch, Mm -hmm. somehow you're not allowed to be in control of that. You have to be doing it for Matt or you Mm -hmm. have to be doing it to appeal to male viewers. Like it can't actually be sexual desire that you're expressing through yourself. Me posing in lingerie can't actually be me going, you know what, I'm 38 years old and I'm feeling a whole new wave of sexual desire in myself and my sexuality has changed and I feel this different 
sense of power and I'm going to represent that because sex belongs to me mm-hmm. as much as it belongs to dudes. Yes. Wow. Clementine, you literally, I literally could listen to you talk for hours and hours, which I, which I do in your, in your, in your um, book. Well, I hope that all made sense. I no, it did. Like I literally was, I didn't even have a chance a lot, to reply because you know? so I was just doing this. Like I'm literally like a little, I'm like a little baby bird. Like I just think that that's what you were saying. That's, I wish it's I knew though. all that when I was younger and I'm still learning a lot of it now, but I, I, I want for you I don't want to sound like an old bloody, you know, I want for you young girls. (laughs) But I really would love for you and your generation of young women who are so, like, fierce and powerful in so many ways to go to recognise that, like, we do live in a world where these influences are exerting themselves on on us all the time and we should be cognisant and aware of the male gaze and and our kind of, like, the way that we conform to it and we the way that we've been trained to soothe male egos and to make mm-hmm. sure that we never kind of do anything that will make them mad because i mean we need to be aware of like our own safety in that but but because we we fear their like disapproval mm-hmm. the fear of male disapproval is so strong but like be aware of all that but we also need to fucking reclaim our right to be to own the stuff that they've taken from us yeah. and if that means like sending fucking pussy shots to guys like you have <laughs> yeah then that doesn't, you doing that isn't you subjugating yourself to him. It's you having a sexual interaction. And the only thing that makes that bad is if he turns around and he decides that he can degrade you because of it. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God, Clementine, I know we're running late a little bit and I could talk to you for literally hours. But I should let you go, though. No, no, oh, my God, I should let you go. I'm going to come to your um, thing tonight, absolutely. I've been sitting here the whole time being like, I can't wait to sit back and listen to Clementine (laughs) talk. Um, Thank you, so much for coming on. I would love to have another discussion with you later down the line about Absolutely. something else that Anytime. comes up. I'll Anytime, listen to um, Boys Be Boys and have another <laughs> talk about that. Um, you have a podcast called, do you want to explain your podcast quickly so we can do a little plug? Yes, and you were just a guest on it, which I'm very grateful for. So I have a podcast called Big Sister Hotline, which is basically a feminist advice, Fe- funny, frank, feminist, no holds barred advice from me a big sister to anyone who would like to be given any kind of advice at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Fabulous. basically more of what we've just talked about today. And you and I were number one and two the other day in education above Jordan Peterson, which made me so amazing. Oh my God. We're another irony. Do you know what? Like fucking Dean Wells from maths. He's got a real beef with me. <laughs> Dean messaged me. He's always like messaging me on Instagram. He messaged me and he was like, what's wrong with Jordan Peterson? He's helped <laughs> lots of good dudes. <laughs> I was like, fuck off Dean. <laughs> Uh, I love that. I love your podcast. I love you. I adore you. I admire you so much. I don't think I can put it into words. And I thank you so much for coming on. I love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.